Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. We've just sung two songs that powerfully communicate the holistic truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just feel at this moment that I would not be obedient to the Holy Spirit of God if I didn't just stop right here before we even get into the message today and say that the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us that God loves you and God loves me. But that our sin that we just sang about in both of these songs, our sin separated us from a God who loved us and who made us to live our lives in fellowship with Him. Because of sin, we could not have a relationship with God. But God loved us so much. The Bible says that God demonstrates His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The whole story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the reality of the love of God for you and me dealing with our sin that separated us from God. God did for us what we could not do on our own. He dealt with our sin. In His holiness, in His wrath, in His justice, God paid the penalty for our sin by pouring out His judgment on Jesus on the cross. But then Jesus rose again as a testimony that the judgment of God against sin, the wrath of God against sin, was completely satisfied in Jesus. And when Jesus rose again from the dead, it was testimony that now you and I, through faith and repentance towards Jesus Christ, can be born again into a relationship with God through Jesus. So listen, this morning. I just believe there's some people in this room. You come to church. Maybe you got religion. But you have no relationship with God. You've never turned from your sin. You've never by faith embraced the totality of what Jesus did as the only means for your salvation. You've never surrendered the control of your life to Him as your Lord and Savior. So before I go any, any further into digging into a message that I believe God's prepared for today, I just want to stop right now and ask you to just bow your head for just a moment. If you're here today, and as I've been talking, as we've been singing, God has been dealing with you like it's only you and Him in the room today. 
And right where you're sitting, you're ready to give your life to Jesus. You're tired of doing it on your own. You're tired of playing church. Listen, there's some of you sitting here. You know it and God knows it. You're lost and you got everybody else convinced you're good. And right now, you're ready to surrender the control of your life to Jesus. And be forgiven of your sin and become a child of God. The Bible says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right in this moment, you can turn from your sin and repentance and put your faith and trust in the gospel, in the person of Jesus, and you can be born again. If you desire to do that right now, I want you to just pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, I know that I've sinned against you. And Jesus, right now, I turn from my sin. I'm tired of my way. And I surrender the control of my life to you. By faith, I believe in you. I don't understand it all, Lord. But I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, God, for loving me. If you just prayed with me and you just gave your life to Jesus Christ. I don't want anybody looking around right now but me. But I just feel led in the stillness of this moment. If you just prayed with me, I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I just want to be able to make eye contact with you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to point at you. I'm not going to do any of that. But if you just prayed with me and you just gave your life to Jesus for the very first time. With nobody looking around right now but me. But just so you and me can make eye contact. I'm going to ask you to just, just stand up right where you are. Nobody's looking right now. It's just you and me in the room. If you just prayed with me. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm not going to make you come down here. I'm not going to do anything. I just want to look you in the eye for just a moment. And then I'm going to pray for you. Then we're all going to get back into the message. But if you just prayed with me. With nobody looking right now but me and you. In this moment right now. Just stand up. Just stand up. Not waiting on anybody else. Just stand up. I see you right there. I see you over there. Just stand up just for a moment. Listen, God bless every one of you. God bless you. And I want you to look me in the eye. And here's what I want you to hear me say. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome. You can be seated. You can be seated. Let me pray for you. God, for every one of these today, 
Lord, we rejoice. God, you're so awesome. Thank you for this moment. Lord, I pray right now that every one of these who just stood would be overwhelmed with the reality that they've been forgiven. That you no longer see them as a sinner, unholy and unrighteous, but you see them as sinless and as righteous as Jesus himself. Not because they've earned that, but because you've just given them that because of what Jesus did on the cross. They don't have to perform today to earn your love. They are right now loved and accepted by you because of Jesus. Lord, we love you today. Holy Spirit of God, would you just right now just satisfy their soul? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's good. Amen. Now listen, if you're one of those who stood with me and, and you looked at me in the eye, um, again, I, would, I didn't want to point you out there, but I, I do want to, after the service, please, please come by the guest center back here. I'm going to be back there after the service. I want to connect you with somebody who can just get you some information before you leave. You just began a new journey today with Jesus. We want to help you. We want to come alongside you, okay? So please come see me at the guest center. I'll be back there. I'll be back there, and I want to talk to you. So please, just stop by. It won't take three minutes, three minutes, to get you connected with somebody, get you some information. We want to follow up with you. If you don't have three minutes, just check that box on that uh, guest card, that, that con uh, connection card there that says, I gave my life to Jesus today. Drop it off at the information desk, and we'll get in touch with you. Don't worry about it, all right? But don't leave here today without telling somebody. What's happened? Amen? Don't you like it when God just takes over? Amen? Amen. Well, we're not going to finish what I had today, all right? So, but, but they say that every good sermon is like a good stick of bologna. You know what that means? You can just cut it off anywhere and it's just as good next time, right? So we're going to get as far as we get today. We're going to cut it off. And we'll pick it up next week, all right? As the family of faith, we have been studying together through the wonderful letter of 1 Peter. If you have your Bible, open to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 3. If you don't know where 1 Peter is, it's towards the back of the Bible. If you get to Revelation, just back up a couple little books and you'll be there. 1 Peter chapter 3. And in this series, we have been unpacking a large section of this letter under... A single big idea. And I want to put this big idea back up on the screen. And I want you to read it out loud with me. You ready? One, two, three. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. Stop right there. That's significant. That's talking about identity. We are who we are as God's people because of who Jesus is. I'm not who I am because of my performance. I'm not who I am because I've earned it or measured up. I am who I am today as a Christian because of who Jesus is. Amen? Let's read the second half. And who we are in Him shapes how we live. Who we are in Him shapes how we live. Because of who I now am in Christ... 
My life is being changed. And who I am in Him is now being manifested in and through my life on a day-in and day-out basis. And that's really the principle that Peter has been unpacking in this letter. In chapter 1 of 1 Peter, we understand some things about who Jesus is. Peter opens this letter by talking to us about some of the glorious realities of who Christ is and how we've been saved because of Jesus. And then as we opened up into chapter 2, he began to dig even deeper into the reality of who Jesus is as the cornerstone. But then Peter began to transition in this letter from talking about who Jesus is to now who we are because of who Jesus is. And the big crescendo was in chapter 2 verse 9 where Peter began to talk to us and say things like, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, a people that did not used to receive the mercy of God, but now we do have the mercy of God. He began to tell us who we are because of who Jesus is. And now what's happening in the end of chapter 2 all the way through really the rest of this letter, Peter is giving some specific examples of what it looks like when who we are in Christ becomes Christ in us. And I want to give you that as a reality statement today to kind of dig a little deeper. Look at this on the screen. The Christian life is simply who you are in Christ Becoming Christ in you. That's the Christian life. It's who I am in Christ. Everything that I... Listen, I am forgiven. I am holy. I am righteous. I am a son of God. I'm a child of the Father. It's who I am in Christ. The Christian life is who I am in Christ. Becoming Christ in me. I am holy. I am becoming holy. I am righteous. I am becoming righteous. I am forgiven. I am walking in the forgiveness that I've been given in Christ. Christianity is who I am in Christ, becoming Christ in me. That's one of the things that when I was disciple, Bob told you his name before, a guy named Clyde Cranford. Clyde really poured this principle into me. It's why if you come in my office, on a, on a wall in my office, I've taken a quote that Clyde taught me years ago and I've put it up on my wall. Here's what it says. This is real Christianity. A spontaneous overflow of the life of Christ through us. Christianity is not you and me trying to live for Jesus. If that's your view of Christianity, here's a question for you. How's that working out? If your view of Christianity is me trying to live for Jesus, I tried to do that for a long time in my Christian life. Me trying to live for Jesus, you know what that looked like? Failure. Over and over and over. And not just failure. It looked like discouragement. It looked like despondency. No matter how hard I tried, I could never measure up. I didn't enjoy it. Christianity was hard work. But then I began to understand Christianity is not me living for Jesus. Christianity is Jesus living his life in and through me. It's who I am in Christ becoming Christ in me. And then when you understand that, there's great freedom and liberty and rest and joy in this thing of following Jesus. Following Jesus becomes simple. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I didn't say it becomes easy. It's simple. Who I am in Christ, becoming Christ in me. That's simple. 
let me try to illustrate it. Jogging is simple. You don't have to be a brain surgeon. You, you put one foot in front of the other. You just do it faster than when you're walking, right? That's jogging. Simple. But it's not easy. Let me prove it. Let's all go outside and do a 5K, right? No, we're going to find people. We're going to leave people. We're going to have a trail of bodies behind us, right, as we take off together. Why? It's simple, but it's not easy. The Christian life is simple. That's why Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burdens lie. It's simple. The simplicity. But it's not easy. Here's why it's not easy. Because it's a battle. You see, my flesh, Peter told us this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, 12 there. He said that our flesh is warring against Christ in us. So Christ in me desiring to live through me, and yet my flesh is at war against that constantly. We're battling against our flesh. And the more who we are in Christ becomes Christ in us. Here's what Peter's saying. It impacts and affects the way we live, and our lives reflect who He is. The more we grow as a Christian, the more Christ-like we become. That's what Peter's teaching us. Now, what Peter's doing here is he's walking through and giving us examples of what that looks like. I love the way John MacArthur said it here in Peter. He said that he gives examples representing the four major arenas of God's ordained social interaction. Peter says, here's what it looks like as you live in a society, civilly, how you relate to government. Remember, we looked at that a few weeks ago. That principle of honoring government and honoring those in society even when they disagree with us. He said, as we grow in Christ and who you are in Christ becomes Christ in you, it affects the way you relate to government. Then he said, as you grow in Christ and who you are in Christ becomes Christ in you, it affects your work relationships. He talked about masters and servants. In our context today, that would be employer-employee relationships. That the, the work that was done in first century Rome was done through masters and servants today. where Our productivity, our work is done in employee-employer relationships. And Peter knew, just like I know, some of the things that he was saying were so radical. And I know some of the things that you've heard us say over these last few weeks in talking about government and civil society and and how we relate to employers and employees, some of the things that we're teaching that Peter's writing are really countercultural. They're radical. Our flesh rises up against them. Our flesh says, that can't be right. Peter so knew their reaction right in the middle of his examples. He jumps back into, let me, don't forget, this is who Jesus is. As you read through chapter 2, he says, don't, don't forget, although he was being accused, although he was being tried, although all this was happening to him, he never opened his mouth. And Then we're going to pick up this weekend in chapter 3 where Peter begins to give the example of what it looks like inside the context of family, specifically husband and wife relationships. This weekend and next, we're going
we're going to focus on this husband-wife relationship. But don't, don't miss what I'm about to say. Don't just grab chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 and pull it out of its context. What's the context? Peter says, this is who Jesus is. This is who you are because of who Jesus is. And the more you grow in your faith, the more who you are in Christ becomes Christ in you. Here's what it looks like in government. Here's what it looks like in work relationships. Now he's saying, here's what it looks like in the home. What we're really looking at as we read verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3 are Christ's likeness in the form of being a wife and a husband. Now, we'll finish the series in a few weeks. He's going to get into verse 8 and following. He's going to talk about relationships inside the church. So he talks government and society. He talks work. He talks family. And he talks church. All of these relational environments, he's giving us glimpses into what it looks like when we become like Jesus in these relationships. Now, before I read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7 through 7, that we're going to be looking at for two weekends, let me say to you, what we're going to read, for some of us in the room, maybe that have never read or looked at some of these passages of Scripture, it's going to run across you like sandpaper when you hear it. Now, let me tell you why. Here's why. Because we've allowed as Christians our views and our worldview to not be shaped by the Word of God, but we've allowed our worldview to be shaped by the opinions of culture. The reason sometimes we read some things and our initial reaction is the hair on the back of our neck stands up is because we've let, we've let society and culture and the ways and opinions of this world shape our worldview rather than what does God say in His Word. So what I want to challenge you with as we begin is what's shaping your worldview? Is it the Word of God or is it the opinions of culture? I'm telling you, you're going to hear what I'm about to read and some of you are going to want to walk out before I even finish reading it. But, but just know this, know this, and I say this in all the love I can muster. Our reaction to this says way more about us than it does about God. It's His book. It's His Word. So I'll read it. All right? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Don't walk out yet. <laughs> so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. 
For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let's all take a deep breath together, all right? (laughs) Now, what we're going to do this weekend and next is we're going to unpack this, all right? So, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're here this weekend, don't you dare miss next weekend, all right? You got to hear it all. Okay, I'm going to do the best I can before God to unpack this for you, but I want you to hear all of it. So I want you to resolve right now in your heart before the Lord, I'm going to do everything I can within my power if I'm here this week to be here next week too. Be here both times. I want you to hear it all. Because these are some significant verses of Scripture that demand our looking at because they're from God. God gave them to us. God put these verses in the Bible for reason. I want to begin today by laying some foundation, all right? I want to lay five foundational statements about family that will help us frame up this passage of Scripture. Number one, family is the foundation of society. We're a world made up of nations. Nations are made up of states or provinces. States or provinces are made up of cities. Cities are made up of communities and neighborhoods. Communities and neighborhoods are made up of families. Family is the building block of society. So goes the family, so goes the world. It's reality. Listen, that's not just a Christian worldview perspective. Any sociologist will tell you that. So goes the family, so goes the world. Family is the nucleus of society. Before there was government, there was family. Before there was a judicial system, there was family. Before there was even the church, there was family. Everything we know in society was built on the family. Number two. Marriage is the foundation of the family. So you could say this. So goes marriage. So goes the family. So goes the family. So goes the world. Marriage is a really big deal. God in His infinite wisdom establish the covenant relationship of marriage to be the anchor in the family that is the building block of society. That makes this truth about marriage a really, really big deal. Number three. Marriage is a relationship designed by God. And here's what that means. 
We didn't come up with it. It wasn't our invention. We didn't have a moment one day where we decided this would be a good thing. No, let me read it to you in Genesis 2. This is not on the screen, but listen to what he said. Genesis 2.18. Then God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Man didn't say that. Man didn't say, hey, God, this isn't good. I need somebody. No, God said that. It was God's idea. God created marriage. It's not what Adam said. It's what God said. Now, here's what that means. God made it. God designed it so he knows best how it functions. You want to learn how something's really supposed to work, you talk to the person who designed it. They're going to know the inner workings of it like nobody else. Why? Because they came up with it. They invented it. They created it. God created the institution of marriage. Before he created government or church or any other institution in society, God created marriage. God knows how it works. And God in his infinite wisdom decided and designed marriage to be the building block of the family, which is the building block of society. So, so goes marriage. So goes society. Does that not give us some insight into the enemy's attack on marriage and family? Why is it that we live in a world culture and system where the attack is so overtly against the institution of marriage? And God's design for the family. Why is that? Because the enemy knows the deal. You see, the enemy's read the book. Our enemy is not omniscient nor omnipresent, but he is smart. And he understands that God has designed our world to be built upon the nucleus and foundation of the family. And that built upon the foundation of marriage. Family is the foundation of society. Marriage is the foundation of the family. Marriage was designed by God. Here's number four. Marriage is a relationship between a man and a woman. I want you to hear me. I'm not on a stump speech here. I want you to hear my heart. As Christians... As evangelical Christians, we believe what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says to be absolutely true. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God. Now here's what that means we believe. Every word of Scripture has sovereignly been inspired by a holy God. That means that every word of Scripture is important. It means that every word of Scripture is in there for a specific reason. We believe that every word of Scripture is inspired by God. In what I just read for you, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands. Did you know that there's not... Technically, a Greek word for wife and husband. The word that's used here 
is a gender-specific word. The word that's used for women is the word, the Greek word gune. It literally means an adult female. The word for husbands is the word aner. It's the word that's translated an adult male. For example, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 38, when it's talking about the feeding of the 4,000 people, and they said they fed 4,000 men besides the women and children, the word men is aner. The word women is gune. It means an adult man, an adult woman. So you could literally read this this way. In the same way, you women be submissive to your own men or the men which belong to you. These are not gender-neutral terms. They are gender-specific terms. what the Bible says. It's not my idea. It's not my philosophy. It's not my opinion. It's what the book says. The Bible uses gender-specific language. Because of that, redefining marriage is an affront to the sovereign design of God. To redesign marriage to be anything but one man and one woman, is to do that in the face of what God inspired to put in His Word. Now some would say, well, but this was written a long time ago. Let, let, me, let me just speak to that for a moment. God is eternal. Now here's what that means about God. God exists outside the parameters of time. Here's what that means. God sees 15 B.C. as clearly as he sees 2015 and as clearly as he sees 3015. He's eternal. means he's not limited by time. He exists outside the parameters of time, meaning he can see yesterday, today, and tomorrow all the same. He's eternal. So to somehow suggest that God was limited in His wisdom to not foresee the culture and society that we live in today is really a statement about our theological understanding of who God is. God is eternal. And because He is eternal, His revelation transcends time. And we as Christians have a responsibility to the next generation to establish a worldview that is rooted in the absolute truth of God's Word and not the shifting sands of contemporary culture. We have responsibility. And the Word of God clearly here defines marriage with gender-specific terms. It's one man, one woman. And, And let me just say this. This issue is a major topic of conversation in our society, but let me tell you why it's such an important issue. Not simply because it's a social or political issue. It's a theological issue. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. This is not simply an issue of sexual preference. It's an issue that deals with the very character and purpose of God. And here's why. God gave us the marriage relationship to teach us about who He is. Male and female. And the Bible said in the book of Genesis that he created male and female in his image. 
meaning that men represent the image of God in ways that women do not, and women demonstrate the image of God in ways that men do not. And when you see a husband and wife living together as one flesh in God's divine design for marriage, we get a more pure picture of the image of God in society. A second issue that's significant is that this is the relationship that he gave us in Ephesians 5 as the example of the intimate fellowship that he desires with us as his bride, the bride of Christ. And so when we dishonor marriage, we are marring the very character of God in society. You see, our understanding of God is wrapped up in our understanding of marriage. As our understanding of marriage erodes, it erodes our understanding of God. What we understand is you live in a society and a culture that is radically moving away from a biblical worldview. Those who stand with the Word of God. Listen, not in, not in harsh and vindictive and mean. That's, if you hadn't been here all through this series, we've talked about we're to honor all people in society. Saved, unsaved, regardless of where they land on any political or social issue. We're to do, do, do everything we do as Christians in a spirit of honor and love. But here's what we cannot do. We cannot compromise our conviction on what the Word of God teaches. And the Word of God is very clear that marriage is between one man and one woman. It's very clear. Let me give you a fifth statement about marriage. Marriage is a relationship with clearly defined roles. Now, (laughs) where, where some of you were wanting to shout amen on the last one, but you didn't, you just felt like it wasn't appropriate, and it's not a good place to shout amen, all right? This next one's not as... Um, <laughs> it's for all of us, all right? Marriage is a relationship with clearly defined roles. And that is what Peter is writing about in chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Hear this. What Peter is saying is when who you are in Christ becomes Christ in you, it affects the way you live as a husband and it affects the way you live as a wife. And he's giving us a description of how it affects us and what it looks like. Because of who we are in Christ, here's what it looks like in marriage. We don't get to pick and choose the parts of this we like and the parts of this we don't like. The Bible is not a cafeteria line where you can skip over the broccoli, all right? It's not. But here's the other side of that. Even though our culture has created in us something that reads some of this and goes, I don't know. This is best. It's best. God designed it this way. And he did it for a reason. It's best. I love what Greek scholar Spiros Zodiate says. Look at this quote on the screen. There are designated functions for a husband and a wife which man cannot change because God has ordained them. Any endeavor to effect change 
will bring frustration, vanity, and emptiness. God has ordained roles and responsibilities inside the covenant relationship of marriage. Anytime we try to change those, we try to rewrite those, we try to update them. This is not software on our computer. It's the Word of God. Anytime we try to change them or rearrange them, here's where it results. Emptiness, vanity, frustration. It's where it's going to lead us. Now, we hear the word roles and immediately we get nervous because we think it implies inequality. Hear me very carefully. It does not. I'm going to read it for you. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Look what it says. For you are all sons or children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now, he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. Now, notice what he says. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Here's what he's saying. As men, as women, yes, we are different. It does not take a psychologist or a sociologist to understand as men and women we are different. But we are made different by the design of a sovereign God. And we are made different yet equal. As men and women in Christ, we are equal before God. Now, what I had intended to do this weekend was look at the first six verses and unpack the roles for wives, and then next weekend, the roles for husbands. We're not going to have time to do that today. What we're going to do is unpack these roles, both of them, next week together. But I want you to look, first of all, at verse 1 and verse 7. Look what he says here in verse 1. In the same way. You see how it opens? In the same way. Look down at verse 7. You husbands in the same way. You see what he's doing? He's just at the end of chapter 2 finished going back to the illustration of Jesus. But with these opening phrases in verse 1 and verse 7, here's what he's saying. In the same way Christ in you affects the way you live in society. In the same way Christ in you affects the way you live in employer-employee relationships. In the same way... As wives and as husbands, Christ in you affects the way you live inside of marriage. Jesus changes the way we live as husbands and as wives. He changes us. Let me close with this thought. In a Christian marriage, when husbands and wives are allowing Christ in them to live through them. It inspires a Christ-like response in their spouse. 
Marriage produces Christ-likeness. Inside the context of marriage, when a husband is allowing Christ in him to be Christ through him, and a wife is allowing Christ in her to be Christ through her, and you see these roles begin to be lived out. And we're going to talk specifically about what they are next weekend. But you see these roles begin to be lived out. Here's what happens. When I see Christ in my wife, in the ways that Peter writes about here, and when my wife sees Christ in me, the way that Peter describes here. And I'm going to give two defining statements for each next weekend. But when my wife sees Christ in me and I see Christ in her, you know what it does? It inspires in me and it inspires in her a greater desire and longing for more of Christ in us. And that's how God's designed it. When we live out these roles that God's given us, and we're going to talk about them next weekend, so don't miss next weekend. Tell me, say, Pastor, I'll be here next weekend. Let me hear you. All right, all right. Listen, you you can't not come back, all right? Please. But as we live these out, it inspires Christ's likeness in one another. So you see what happens? As Christ in us becomes Christ through us, and then we interact together, who I am in Christ becomes more of Christ in me. And the marriage relationship designed by God begins to be a tool used by Him to inspire and produce greater Christ-likeness in me. And if we read the book right, that's the goal. 